Hello and welcome back to the Village's Daily Sun Sports Podcast. I'm staff writer Drew Shaltry, joined today by senior writer Cody Hills. We've got a little bit of a short one for you as Jeff Shane is out of town taking some well-earned vacation at the moment, but we're going to talk a little bit about the battle at the Villages that we saw last week. Hopefully you get to read some of the coverage of that. Also, we'll recap a little bit from last weekend of college football with some bowl games, of course, the college football playoff and next week's national championship game. So I want to start, though, with the Battle at the Villages. Obviously, Cody, you and I were there for all three days of the event. It was a fun tournament, great competition, especially on that final day. It felt like we really got a lot of the matchups that we kind of needed out of the event. First of all, Cody, one of the big things coming in, we talked about VHS and kind of where they were in their season. They obviously played a brutal schedule in December that didn't really change going into last week with the competition that they saw at their event. Coming out of that with a third place finish, how do you feel about where VHS stands at this point in the season? Yeah, it uh, is a really good showing for them. I think it's going to do a lot for their confidence going forward. You know, head coach Colt McDowell kind of said they'd never been this battle tested for the battle before, and we talked about it, how tough that schedule has been for them. You know, it's arguably the toughest schedule this program's ever put together. So to then not even really have to elevate yourself to that level of play, yes, the level of play was high, as you said. I mean, those 12 games over those three days were just really good basketball all the way throughout. I mean, those are those are really well-coached teams. That's what that tournament is designed to be. Hard, hard, hard-nosed teams playing well. It's worth the price of admission, uh, even though we didn't pay admission. But <laughs> thanks, Marty's Real Junior. But anyways, yeah, uh, for the Villages itself, though, I think it was a good showing. You know, of course, they wanted to win it. Now they're 0 for 9 and, and 9 tries trying to win this dang thing. But I, I think more so, you know, they kind of have a saying there that it's either win or learn uh, over uh, under Colt McDowell. And so there, there's no losses. It's a lot of learning and a lot of getting better. And this young team, as we've talked about, just inexperienced, you know, other than Sam Walters and Ben Kubek. You know, pretty much anyone else is going to be on the floor any given night, aside from maybe Alvin Isaac, really hasn't played extended varsity minutes. So just the opportunity to play that level of, of competition, three straight nights, get into that tournament feel, which, as we know, basketball is a tournament game, district, regional, and state tournament. You're playing some games in quick succession. So it's a good showing for them. Uh, obviously would have liked to have won it. A lot to work on. I think a lot to look back on the film for them. I know they're going to get after it pretty hard here coming up, and you know they have ever, ever since they came back after the new year. So, um, but yeah, I think overall a lot more positive than negative for them, despite the falling short of their ultimate goal of winning the Battle to Villages title. Yeah, they won on the first day, beat Lowndes out of Valdosta, Georgia. Very quality team. We saw them play out the rest of the tournament, and they were a really tough, tough beat for the the teams that they end up facing after the Villages. Also, you know, they end up losing in the second round to the eventual champions, Windermere Prep. Very close game. Uh, ended up losing a lead late in that one, but came back the next night and fought out that third place game to end up, uh, you know, still with a trophy, finishing the top three at the tournament. Not the first time that they've ended up in third place there. But Cody, you were telling me going into that game on Thursday, the final day of the tournament, that you felt like VHS really needed that win. Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, anytime you get into an event like this, if you can't win it, you, you got to win what you can win. And so it was a big deal to not only them, but to a lot of teams, you know, we talked to Melvin Randall, you know, the head coach of Miami Northwestern, who played the Villages in that third place game. And of course, Coach Randall with the most state titles of any high school boys hoops coach in this state with nine all time. But, you know, it meant a lot to them to try to get that 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 second victory in three days, even though you fall short of that ultimate goal. Yeah, there was a lot on the line, I think, for them. And if nothing else, too, I mean, the way that the way that the day two ended with the loss to Windermere Prep, who we'll get touch on them more in a minute, but I mean that's a really talented team, a really well coached team. What Brian Hoff does, but yeah, the Buffalo definitely felt like they let one slip away. Um, you know, Coach uh, Colt McDowell just kind of said they did some things uncharacteristically 
did the wrong things and sometimes did the self uh, selfish things instead of the selfless things at times. And then because of that, getting out of position, losing their head, losing their cool, you know, maybe allowed the officiating to impact them a little bit and allowed the adversity to seep in even a little bit further and didn't respond to it well, lost their composure. And that's something that we've seen as the year's gone on, kind of a common denominator in their losses is a lack of composure. So to turn around and, you know, less than, you know, 18, 20 hours later, turn around and beat a really good Miami Northwestern team with all of a sudden a huge boost of composure and a huge you know, a surge of just self-accountability each to each man there uh, up and down that bench. It's really remarkable. Um, it was huge for him to get that one. It just ended on a good note, certainly, like we said, though. It didn't get that first-place trophy, but got the third-place trophy. And, and I think I wrote in our coverage, uh, you know, that it wasn't for the championship against Miami Northwestern in that third-place game, right? But the effort certainly was. I mean, the effort would have been good enough to win this title. It's going to be good enough to win a lot of titles down the stretch um, because, as we know, Miami Northwestern really loves to push the play uh, pace, get you uncomfortable. And the Villages, as a young team, has to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable, being pressed and being put into some adversity and facing tough situations. So, yeah, they needed it. They got it. And I think it just puts a nice little bow on the battle experience for them in 2022. Sam Walters, after that loss on the second night, he said he didn't want to lose a game the rest of the season. It seemed like he really felt that one. And obviously, he you know he hasn't been happy after a loss at all this year, but he seemed really impacted by losing that one. I, I know that part of that was this is his last battle. I'm sure that he wanted to help bring that first trophy to the Villages. But the way that we saw him play, he really does seem like he's going to be on a bit of a tear here at the back end of the season, considering the level of competition that they were facing, what they've got coming up down the stretch. I think Sam Walters is probably primed for a huge January and February here, I'd have to imagine. Yeah, that's a really good observation, honestly, man, just because, you know, the the way he sort of wired, um, and, and we followed his career journey, right, and kind of the, the arc or maybe even sort of the waves of a good freshman year but hadn't really bought into the system and culture here, and then he obviously departs a year to Montverde Academy for his sophomore season. That doesn't work out the way that, that he hoped and intended it. So he comes back for the junior year. It was a great year last year. And now it's the senior year and, and sort of kind of reminiscent of this tournament for them. Has got a really nice chance to put a bow on things here and, and etch himself you know, as one of the, the best players in this program's history. And so I think for me, it's a great observation on your part. I think it's a man who's driven, a young man who's really sort of focused in kind of on the goal here you know will they not lose another game for the rest of the year you know it remains to be seen but if he has anything to say about it they won't just because you know we've seen him really mature I think especially I saw it maybe about halfway point through last year you know everyone's going to do what they can to stop Sam Walters you're a fool if you face this team and you do not try to stop him um, and so they're going to throw all sorts of stuff at you and he's got to deal with that he's got to deal with the adversity and I asked him after that game uh, after the Miami Northwestern uh, win in the third place game, you know, how have you sort of just come around to the idea that some nights you're not going to be able to score 30, you're not going to be able to score 35, 38, whatever it might be? And he said, well, I've learned that I can I can influence the game and impact it in other ways. It's through his passing, through his defense, you know, you know, coming over on the weak side defensively and helping out. I mean, there's a lot of ways that he can get involved. His leadership, I mean, those guys look look at him. Chris Washington Jr., phenomenal freshman, had a great game against Windermere Prep. You know, almost the reason, the probably the reason they nearly pulled it off was was his play, his best game of the year. I mean, he looked up to Sam. So um, I think Sam's attitude and effort alone can 
not only win them games down the stretch, but can be a big reason, too, that other guys start coming along. And as we've documented, a final point on this is a year ago, all they needed was someone else to come along to Sam, and it took forever to finally find someone. I don't know if they truly ever did. Um, and this year it's sort of that same thing. It's, okay, we got to find a secondary option, a third option, whatever it might be. And, and I think just his effort and attitude helps shine a light on that a little bit for Colt McDowell. I want to talk about a couple of the other teams that we saw at the battle. I think the – you know, maybe the biggest story, certainly one of the things that the most people were talking about there uh, over at the Village's high school was Phillips Memorial making it all the way down from Madison, Wisconsin without a flight. Their flight got canceled. They got caught up in the whole mess with Southwest Airlines uh, right after Christmas there and uh, ended up having to find a charter bus to bring them down, got to the Village's an hour and a half before their first game on Tuesday come out they end up being the last place team but I mean it's kind of crazy that they were even there to begin with and then the way that they competed I thought especially on the third day I was really impressed with what we saw from Steve Collins squad there yeah I think uh, kudos first and foremost to coach Collins I mean just the I mean you talked to him a little bit more extensively than I did about the, their journey and getting down here but just all the hurdles and the obstacles they had to overcome just to even get on the court 90 minutes before they start. And thankfully for them, they got a little bit of a shoot around over at the middle school gym. So, you know, I had tip to, to the Villages Charter School for opening that up for them to let them stretch their legs a little bit before they take the floor in the big gym. But, yeah, I mean, just an absolute mess, a nightmare. And I think the credit turns back around to Coach Collins and those players. Yeah. You know, the players to, to a man said that, yeah, we want to come down here. You know, we wanted to continue this journey. We wanted to play. And, you know, getting the chance to talk to them after that third and final day, it was just sort of like – you know, they got what they wanted out of this trip. You know, no matter what, they're going to go back to Wisconsin already, you know, in Wisconsin and, and get back into their season up there and be uh, a better team tenfold than they were when they left just to face this level of competition, the level of physicality. But, yeah, I'm really glad you wrote on that and kind of highlighted their journey because it was, I mean, it made national news. And here it was happening in our own backyard. Um, you know, this team would just board a bus and you know, the, the planes, trains, and automobiles type thing and took that out. And What'd you write? Planes? <laughs> uh, pa uh, planes, pains, and automobiles. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, I mean, just to, to get down here and, and no sleep for those guys and then to play. And then you knew that first game they'd, they'd have no legs, yeah. right? And they're a perimeter shooting team. So it was a recipe for disaster. Get to the second day. Well, I think probably by the second day, it's going to catch up to you a little bit. And then finally that third day, you know, that was the best they looked and getting a chance to go up against Burkmar out of Lilburn, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. That's just a tough matchup as it is. So just not a really good matchup for them on paper, different different styles of play and athleticism. So, but yeah, kudos to them. Kudos to Coach Collins. I mean, and we've had chats with him. I mean, he gave me a little razzing for the, the Iowa hoodie being a <laughs> Madison, Wisconsin and Badger team, but just great guys. And I think it says a lot. I think what, you know, Colt McDowell told us about, them even, you know, a lot of teams would have left you high and dry and said, we just can't do it. And it would have been understood. I mean, the Villages would have hated it and they would have, they've gotten pretty good, as Colt McDowell said, of adjusting with the COVID year and another team's canceling. And, you know, a team dropped out two, three weeks before this year's tournament and they had to uh, make a filler, but it would have caused a lot of headaches, you know, a day before. So kudos to them. And I hope, uh, I really hope they have a good rest of the season. Yeah. And I want to point out Coach Collins was really upbeat the whole week. Uh, he, didn't really use the bus thing as an excuse. Uh, to your point, he said that it was very much about them getting better. And, you know, he wasn't upset that they were losing because there were a lot of things that he could take back to Wisconsin with them and say, we need to get better at this. This is where teams are exploiting this against us. And I thought that those guys were really upbeat all week long. And the other thing is, you know, he said that this is the sixth or seventh year in a row that they've taken a trip for one of these 
late December holiday tournaments, the battle is the first one that they've ever repeated at. And they were here a few years ago. And uh, he said that I don't think he, he said he didn't think they would have made that trip uh, if he didn't know what they were getting at the battle. You know, the kids obviously wanted to get down. And that was the first uh, and foremost reason that they made the trip still. But had it been to an event that they didn't know what they were walking into, I don't think he would have done it. So obviously they were impressed with the first time they came down to the battle. So it just kind of shows you that that event's been really consistently good for a long time now. And I think with the competition that we've, they've brought in, the competition that we've seen, it really has cemented itself as one of the best in the state during that week. The other team that I want to talk about before we move on is Windermere Prep. Eventual winners, a very young team, very well coached, like you said, very talented, a lot of youth on that team. I think they only had one senior playing meaningful minutes. And so that's a group that still has room to to grow. But, you know, coming in, we weren't sure exactly what we were going to see from the Lakers. And, you know, Brian Hoff, their coach, wasn't exactly sure what we were going to see for the Lakers. He said that when they decided to enter the tournament, he was just hoping that they could compete for three days, maybe come out with a win. For them to win it was kind of almost shocking to him. Not that he was shocked that they were capable of it, but that they were able to do it with that youth that consistently three days in a row. We talked a little bit, Cody, you and I, when we were there at the tournament looking at what they had going on, what they had coming up on the schedule, where they sit in Class 3A, that they were going to have a tough time continuing the streak you know five straight champions of the battle of the villages have gone on to win state titles but i think that that team if not this year they could be poised to compete for one of those state titles at least within the next two years yeah and i think it, it all starts with brian hoff and just kind of the system he has in place that's a team that that most certainly plays for each other um and, and there's guys who could easily individually take over that team and, and let ego sleep uh, seep in and you look at the star power they have, albeit young star power, but, you know, Brandon Bass Jr., I mean, he was absolutely phenomenal that entire tournament, you know, the son of the, the former SEC Player of the Year and 12-year NBA vet. And then, you know, you just start looking up and down their lineup. It's like, okay, they've got some decent size. You know, they're not one of the taller teams that you're going to see in 3A, but decent size, uh, and obviously with what they can do athletically. And obviously, you know, the one outlier in the height is Sinan Wan, the seven-footer, you know, uh, uh, the boarding student out of China. I mean, so if you have him and you have the athleticism at the guard and, and kind of those those wing players that they have, how, how, quickly, how quickly they can move up and down the floor, they press, they get after you, they're really well coached. And it kind of goes back to Brian Hoff. I mean, I thought their scouting for this phenomenal or was phenomenal throughout the tournament. I mean, the way they took Sam Walters away in, in the second game, um, the way that they sort of attacked Berkeley's perimeter guards uh, in game three, um, you know, just kind of did what they had to do in a short amount of time. I think it goes back to Coach Hoff, his coaching staff. I mean, they were all – you could just watch. I mean, they were all engaged all game long. So that's a really good program, as you said. They're really, really freaking good now. So how are they going to look, you know, like you said, in a couple years? We know 3A is tough. We, we know that's some of the best basketball in this entire state. We know they're coming out of a region, out of Orlando, which, you know, I'm putting it up there with some of South Florida, with – with, uh, with the Jacksonville, they're some of the best basketball that this state has to offer. So it's a big win for them. And if it's unexpected to Brian Hoff now, I cannot wait to see what his expectations are like in just a year or two. Yeah, and I, I mentioned that to him after the game that the last five battle winners had gone on to win state titles, and he was, like, shocked to hear that. And <laughs> I told him, you know, I don't want to put those expectations on you because he's just trying to, you know, grow that young team right now. But I think that it, it does put a little bit of – 
belief in those kids. I think that, you know, the front half of the year, similar to the villages, kind of been a learning curve for them, that they've kind of been, you know, figuring things out, figuring out where guys fit in, what their roles are, what they need to do to win. And I think that seeing it happen over three days, learning about the level of success that teams that succeed at that tournament have, I think that that's kind of given them some perspective of how good they maybe could be going into the rest of the season. Yeah. And there's a recipe for success here. And it's, you know, no secret that, if you're going to win a tournament like this, you might go on and win your state title because it feels like the winner of this tournament every single year, and we can go back to the Covington Catholic team coming down from Kentucky. We can go back to when Leesburg won it. It was the first Florida team in 2017. I mean, we can go back to even, you know, Kissimmee Osceola, you know, winning it. It doesn't matter. OCP the last couple of years. It feels like sort of the, the baseline has been really detail-oriented teams, teams who focus on the little things, and then, you know, you, you shore up the little things with really good effort. And when you have really good effort and you have athletic kids, I mean, these kids, it seems like even all eight teams, I'll be honest, it doesn't matter if you went 0-3 like Phillips Memorial or you went 3-0 like Windermere Prep. I feel like all eight teams put 15 guys on the bench that would run through a wall for their coach, um, every single one of them. And so when you have that, when you have teams with good culture – it's going to breed success. You're going to win state titles. You're going to win events like these, and that's what makes an event like this so good. It's a kudos to, to the tournament committee here and the teams that they're pulling down. I'm excited. I know they're already getting ready for that 2023 edition down at the new campus and already looking at teams for that because they've sort of this tournament's sort of fallen into a cycle here now. I shouldn't say fallen. has risen to a cycle to where it's really good teams coached by really good coaches with some of the best players at this state and even partly, depending on who you look at, the country has to offer, and you get to watch it you know, here for three days straight. It's really hard to beat. Yeah, I think that the, the best evidence of that was the fifth-place game. We saw Lowndes and Miami Southridge were two really, really good teams. And both of us were sitting there saying, man, it's kind of a shame that these teams didn't get a chance to play for first place or even third place because they both lost on the first day. But then it was like, who do you take out of the top four? It was it was so hard this year. You know, you could go six, you know, really eight deep. Obviously, circumstances kind of kind of mess things up a little bit for uh, for Madison. But I mean you look at least those top six were really, really competitive. Yeah, no, we joked about not having to pay admission with this, you know, lovely press pass around our neck, but I would have, I'd have paid a few bucks to watch a round robin just to have these yeah. teams. I would, would love to have seen the different matchups, the different styles of play. Again, the committee does such a great job of mixing and matching and getting different, different teams down here, teams who can press, teams who want to sit back in a zone, teams who shoot from the outside, teams full of slashers. I mean, you, you don't know what you're going to get until you get here, and that makes it such a fun event. Well, unfortunately, we'll now have to wait just about 12 months for the next edition. Like Cody said, it'll be down at the new campus. Looking forward to that. That'll be the 10th battle at the Villages, and I'm sure that the tournament committee will have something big cooked up for that one. Can't wait to see exactly what they put together. But congratulations to Windermere Prep one last time. Uh, phenomenal run by them. They were super enjoyable to watch all week. Also worth mentioning, they had to win two close games there uh, in the semifinal and finals to get through that. So a lot of moxie from that young team, as well as that final being a, a revenge game against Berkeley Prep, who's in their classification 3A. So potential fun playoff rematch between those two could be coming down the line. But all that's to be seen. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Cody and I are going to talk a little bit of college football as the college football championship field is now set. From high school heroes to softball to the latest on the Villages Fairways, the Daily Sun brings you the best in local sports. Stay informed with the nation's fastest-growing newspaper in the nation's fastest-growing community. Subscribe to the Villages Daily Sun by calling 352-753-1119. 
Wrapping up today, again, a little bit of a shorter podcast, but Drew Shaltry and Cody Hill still with you. We're going to talk a little bit of college football. Uh, Cody and I both spent a lot of time watching college football this weekend, had two very different experiences, both in terms of how much we enjoyed it and also where we watched our respective teams from. Cody, I'll let you uh, just go ahead and shout out the Iowa Hawkeyes real quick. We'll just start with a, a couple of standout bowl performances outside of the playoff, which we'll get to in a moment. But you got to go to the Music City Bowl. Uh, you got to witness that one in person, and I imagine you had a pretty good time. Yeah, it was great, man. Uh, Nashville is one of my favorite cities, and so to get the opportunity to go watch Iowa and play, I guess it was Iowa being Iowa. You know, Kentucky coach Mark Stoops kind of joked that we got out Iowa today by Iowa. Just <laughs> 21 nothing victory over Kentucky, the first uh, shutout in the 25-year history of the Music City Bowl. So it was pretty cool to be a part of that. Pretty cool. You know, Iowa's had some some really, obviously, their defense in terms of yards per play allowed is, you know, we haven't seen a defense this good since 2012 Alabama, I think, or you got to go maybe even back, you know, a little bit before that in terms of just a defense that's this good. So it was fun to watch. It was fun to have, have them cap, uh, you know, another eight-win season or one of five teams that if you take out that 2020 season, you know, since 2015, there's only five teams, you know, minus that COVID year that have won eight games or more, and Iowa's one of them. So pretty cool to sort of keep up that little bit of measurement of success, that little barometer going and, uh, yeah, so I was impressed by that, just kind of biased. And real quickly, too, I, I thought LSU had a really impressive bowl performance against uh, Purdue in the Citrus Bowl. It was a, it was a shell of Purdue. Uh, you know, it was. No Aiden O'Connell at quarterback. No Charlie Jones at receiver. But, you know, it was still a, a game that Purdue was up for. You know, had a little bit of, little bit of oomph behind it with Drew Brees kind of being the interim, you know, talking head head coach for this game. And LSU was just motivated, you know, even that all it's kind of gone on off off the field for them, kind of behind the scenes, some murky stuff. You can look into that yourself. But uh, Nussmeyer was really good at quarterback. It's a big win for Brian Kelly. I think just get some momentum going into next year. So the bias side of me taking Iowa beating Kentucky is my favorite bowl moment. But, but yeah, I thought LSU was impressive too. And, and a big win for Tulane against USC as well. Yeah, LSU was the one that I wanted to bring up. I think because of what it does for – that program moving forward. Brian Kelly, obviously his first year there, they kind of gained some momentum. You beat Alabama, you make it to that SEC championship game. That was a, that was big for them. There's a lot of growth. Obviously, they lose it to Georgia. You know, they can say, okay, they're maybe one or two steps away, but they come out and dominate in a bowl game like that. And yeah, it's the Cheez It Bowl. It's not the the Rose Bowl or a college football playoff semifinal or something like that. But for them to come out beat a, a quality Big Ten team, albeit with the, the caveats that you mentioned, to come out and dominate the way that they did, show that the the players still care the way that they do for, for a game like that, to get up for the Cheez-It Bowl, I think says a lot about Brian Kelly and the way that he's energized the program, energized the guys in the program, and I think that that is going to be a quality quality program moving forward under Brian Kelly. You did mention Tulane, that upset over uh, – of USC was really, really impressive. They were a fun team all year. And again, it was one of these conversations we had about, oh, you know, we've got, oh, this is cute. One of these non-power five teams doing non-power five things in the regular season. There's always one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they go out and beat one of the best teams in the country, including the reigning Heisman winner. uh, And really, I think, made a statement out there. I I think that we've got to start, and this is a bigger conversation, but, and Obviously, conference consolidation is maybe changing how we talk about it and stuff, but I think there's got to be some sort of respect for some of these non-Power 5 teams. We saw it with Cincinnati just a couple of years ago, or just one year ago, actually. Obviously, there was the Boise State conversation for forever, but I'm hoping that one of the things that comes out of the expanded college football playoff, which I'm not necessarily a huge fan of, but I hope that that makes room for a team like Tulane to get a chance to compete because USC is a team that would have been in a 16 playoff. 
if Tulane gets in, you know, they have a chance to, to go toe-to-toe with anybody in that first round, it seems like. So I think that that's, you know, one benefit, at least, of expanding it to six teams is giving a team like Tulane a chance to compete with the big dogs. Yeah, no, that's an impressive win for them. And it was just dramatic. I mean, that's going to be etched in, you know, I, I hope it reaches the level, and maybe nothing ever will when talking about the smaller schools, but a Boise State beating Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl a few, you know, oh, gosh, I don't even want to say a few years ago. It's a lot it's longer than that. It's been a decade now, I think. 2007 at least, maybe, that, yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, 15 points in the final, like, four or 16 points in the final four minutes. Um, you know, I saw a stat earlier, and I had to pull it up just because I wanted to include it here. Over the past five seasons, teams have been one and 1,692 when trailing by 15 points or more with five minutes uh, or less remaining in the fourth quarter. So, you know, it's happened 1,700 times thereabouts, and it's happened now twice. So a tremendous comeback for them. To your point, yeah, I mean, there's something to be said. I think the motivation's huge. Tulane obviously getting discounted. You know, we if USC, you know, they would have been in the college football playoff had they not lost the Pac-12 title game to Utah. So for them to have the, the motivation that they had, quarterback Michael Pratt was really impressive. Caleb Williams, Williams put on a show as the Heisman winner, a Cotton Bowl record, five touchdowns in that prestigious bowl game. But... Yeah, it's a big win, I think, for the little guys who are now suddenly putting on weight and looking really good in some of these matchups, and then you throw that chip on the shoulder. And that's, that's a dangerous time to, to be a big boy trying to take down a, a non-Power 5 team. All right, well, unfortunately, now we do have to move on and talk about the college football playoff games. I do want to say, I think one of the, the biggest things that we saw in both of those games is that the two teams that people, I think, doubted the most really proved that they belong there. I had a lot of friends, uh, a lot of a lot of people ask me, you know, how's Michigan going to match up with Georgia? Do you think they can beat Georgia this year? And I kept telling them, I, I want to see them get by TCU first. I, I kept saying that, and I was like, and don't write off Ohio State either. Uh, and I think that both TCU and Ohio State proved that they deserved a shot to be in the college football playoff. Obviously, TCU got through to that national championship. Ohio State came within one of the worst field goal attempts I've ever seen of making it to the national championship game. So I think that that both of those teams did a lot to maybe silence some of the doubters uh, and, and prove that they ended up where they belonged in the top four. Yeah, yeah, they did, at least momentarily for TCU's case because they're going to start cranking up again, I think, against Georgia and more on that in a minute. But, yeah, it's a good point. Full disclaimer, Michigan, uh, Drew's a big Michigan guy, so that's, <laughs> we should just throw that in there. That's why he unfortunately didn't want to talk about it. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I was wrong. Uh, you know, I, I really thought that – I really thought Georgia would sort of walk away with their game against Ohio State. I really thought it'd be low scoring too, and I really thought that you know Georgia's defense would have a lot more of a say um, in limiting Ohio State's offense. But you know, credit to to Ryan Day and that Ohio State you know those offensive coaches. I mean, they really put together a good game plan to attack Georgia throughout the air. Um, something I think TCU can benefit on more on that in a minute. But um, but yeah, and in terms of uh, you know what TCU did against Michigan. I mean, you know, we joked that, you know, Kentucky, Iowa, out Iowa, Kentucky in a physical matchup. You know, TCU was a lot more physical, I think, than I ever would have given them credit for against Michigan. I think Michigan got the raw end of the deal, and it's not why they lost, but it's a reason of how they lost. I got the, I think they got the raw end of the deal on a couple of officiating points. Um, that being said, though, I think Michigan couldn't really – put itself in the positions that it did. I, I think Michigan I think Michigan is the better team. I think, you know, interior line play, I thought I think they are better. I think JJ McCarthy, you know, we talked before this game in this in our CFP preview that it couldn't get to a point where 
you know, Michigan needed to rely on J.J. McCarthy because they couldn't do it. We didn't feel like he couldn't do it. We hadn't seen it yet. And I thought J.J. McCarthy could. I thought he looked really well. Yes, there were some moments there. Um, you know, but, but, but I mean, just overall, it's a huge win for TCU. Georgia, it's sort of maybe if nothing else, it's a wake-up call for Georgia. It's like, okay, we are human. Um, you know, if, if it wasn't the little scare against Kentucky, if it wasn't the scare uh, earlier that they had two in non-conference play, I mean, if it, if nothing else for them, I think it's a little bit of a wake-up call. Like, yeah, we, we can't be crowned yet. We, we haven't done the back-to-back thing. We still have a lot to learn or earn yet. So, but yeah, credit to Ohio State. I mean, they fought like tooth and nail, you know, um, but I think a lot of it, again, you, you talk to Moxie. You know, I think Moxie of of Georgia and, and just Stetson Bennett and TCU and Max Duggan, I mean, just those are two really fun quarterbacks leading two really good teams, um, and it should make for one pretty good matchup uh, next Monday. Yeah, and veteran guys, too. I think that's a that's a big factor. Both of those guys are in their final seasons at their schools, and both of them would love to walk off their college careers with a victory like that in a way that not many guys get to. You mentioned TCU kind of out-Michiganing Michigan with the physicality. The run defense I thought was stellar. Donovan Edwards still got over 100 yards, but the way that they were able to to force them to take to the year, and that was the game plan. They said going in that they were going to try to make J.J. McCarthy beat them with his arm, and he kind of did up to a certain point. The two pick sixes really uh, made a massive, massive impact on the game. Obviously, the first points of the game were a TCU pick six, so uh, that was a that was a tough break for Michigan. Uh, he did make some great plays. I'm encouraged about him coming back next year, but yeah, that's uh, that TCU defense. I don't know if they're going to have the same kind of opportunities against Georgia to score, but I think that with what they were able to do, they should be able to hang in with Georgia. Uh, and especially, you know, offensively, they've looked pretty unstoppable just about all season. I think that that could be a really really good game. I think that they're everybody is capable of throwing the ball as Ohio State was. For Georgia, like you said, this should be a wake-up call. Presumed repeat champions coming into this final four, I think. Obviously, you know, a very close call there against Ohio State and then going up against a team that, you know, put some teams on alert. I think that everything is set up for Georgia to be prepared for this game going up against TCU now. Yeah, yeah, I think the wake-up call factor is definitely there. But I think for TCU, too, I mean, you're, you're sort of just playing with house money at this point. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, it's a team that's picked, you know, sixth or seventh by the media and, and to finish there in the Big 12 preseason. And so to come out the way they did and run through their schedule, you know, unscathed was, was absolutely remarkable. Now, it didn't come without disaster. You know, five times they won after trailing at halftime. I think the stat showed the other day uh, during their game. So, you know, five different times they've been down. So I, I think they're not afraid of the chaos. I think they're not afraid to get into a matchup with Georgia where it's kind of helter-skelter a little bit and they might get down two scores early, but they're not going to, you know, really budge off it too much. There's something to the underdog role, I think, for them. You know, they weren't talked about a whole lot against Michigan. They weren't going to, they're obviously not going to be talked a lot here against Georgia. And there's something that Sonny Dykes is either doing or saying in that locker room that he's done all year long when you're predicted to finish sixth or seventh in that Big 12 to sort of get these guys rallied and going together. So, yeah, I, I, I like the makeup for TCU. And then it just comes down to. To me, it's who's the better team, and I feel like Georgia's still the better team. I think, like we said, the wake-up calls there. I think Georgia's going to be much more prepared. I do not anticipate them getting down like they did against Ohio State. And, you know, I think when Georgia wants to squeeze the life out of a game and use to play-action pass that's set up by the run and, and sort of rely on defense and interior running, you know, they're, they're really tough to beat when they want to choke the life out of one. So yeah, it should be a really good matchup, like you said. I'm really excited to see, you know, Dugan and Bennett going back and forth, veteran guys. 
two guys who know when to force the issue, know when to, to open the envelope a little bit and try to stick one in there. And I tell you what, though, to me, like you said, I think TCU surprised a lot of folks. Yes, Michigan did get over 100 yards as a team, 100 and, you know, 140, whatever they were at rushing as a unit. But the run defense, just so much more physical than we anticipated. And so if they can match that against Georgia and force Georgia to air it out a little bit, which – you know, Stetson Bennett has proven capable. I think that's TCU's best chance. Yeah, and I think that the big difference is if Stetson Bennett does air it out, he's not as prone to turnovers as J.J. McCarthy, who, you know, to be fair, all regular season was pretty safe, but also they weren't in a lot of positions where he had to make the kind of throws he was trying to make on Saturday night. As always, we're going to go ahead and give some predictions. I'll actually go first this time. I usually put you guys on the spot and make you go first, but I'm, I'm still going to take Georgia. We'll see if I'm wrong about this one again, but I – just don't think, again, there's no chance that they overlook TCU now, both with what they did to Michigan and what happened in their own game. I think Georgia's going to be as prepared as Kirby Smart's ever had his team for a matchup. But I think that TCU is going to be able to keep it close. I think they're going to force Georgia to have to score a few times. So I'm going to go Georgia 34-31 over TCU. Yeah, that's a good pick. I actually was leaning somewhere in the range of like Georgia 38 TCU 33. I think it's going to get up there in points. You know, I think Ohio State exposed some issues on the back end for Georgia, but also, you know, so I think TCU is going to be able to throw the ball. I think, you know, Dugan, I mean, you know, they've had 13 completions of 50 yards or more, which is the most in like, gosh, six or eight years, I think the stat was. But yeah, I think Georgia's just too good. I really like your point. I think Kirby Smart is going to be really smart about this. I think they're going to be dialed in. I, I do think Quentin Johnston's going to have a game, though, and I think if it's a, a monster. <laughs> yeah, if there's one man who can maybe make a really big difference in this one, if it's not going to be Dugan, which, I mean, he's going to be feeding it to him. And I think Quentin Johnston, I think they're just going to be able to move him around a little bit and try to pick apart that back end, that defensive secretary, secondary of Georgia. I think they'll have him split out wide. They'll have him in the slot. They'll move him around a little bit. I think his matchup against – any sort of combination of a safety and a cornerback is going to be really fun to watch. But, yeah, I'm going to go Georgia 38, TCU 33. But I wouldn't be all that upset if, if TCU found a way. I think it would be a really good story for college football. Well, obviously we'll see how it plays out Monday night. Georgia, TCU for all the marbles out there in the college football championship game. That's going to do it, though, for us. Thank you to Cody for being here with me today. Jeff Shane, please enjoy your vacation while you're away. Thank you guys for listening to us. Of course, if you're listening to us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, if you don't mind liking, rating, reviewing, we always appreciate that and certainly appreciate you hanging out with us each week. That's it for this episode. We'll be back with more later. But until then, see you out on the playing fields. Mm-hmm.